Alright, so I'm asked a question I always ask. What do y'all remember from last week? Isn't that always hard? It's like, you know it was a good Bible study, right? But a week goes by, and it's kind of hard to remember what it was about. I'll give you a hint. It was something about a roof coming off, or people coming through a roof, right? Remember that, Matt? Huh? Paralytic being lowered. It kind of looks like it took place in here, doesn't it? Right? The roof is coming off. Alright, so the paralytic, I mean, and we read these things, right? And it's just like, we kind of just read through it, but think about how crazy that is. Think about how dramatic this is. I mean, have you ever been in a prayer meeting where people started digging through the roof to lower someone down? And Matt and I were, were, were teasing and talking about this before. It's like paralytic was there and the house was full. And, you know, his guys are like, look, man, we are going to get you in this house one way or another. And they're tying them up and they're sending them through the roof. Right. And some crazy things are happening. But what was the big point of the whole story of this? Anybody remember? What's that? Okay, so Jesus forgave his sins. And did everybody, did that sit well with everyone? No, it didn't. Why? It glorified God, okay. Why did that stir the scribes up so much? I'm sorry? Okay, went against what they were teaching? Okay. And that's really what I want to start off with, the first point. Tonight we're going to be in Mark 2. We're going to cover 13 through 17. And, you know, when Matt sent me this this text, I kind of got excited. You know, I, I like this text. I like, you know, where Jesus comes and He calls Levi and eventually becomes Matthew. But there's a there's a whole story going on here in these first chapters of Mark that are really showing some things. What we talked about last week and coming into this week is that Jesus came to show the heart of, of the Father. Jesus came to show the heart of the Father. Did the scribes and Pharisees understand the heart of God? They didn't, right? They thought they did. And they kind of had this mindset of what godliness looked like and a lot of outward things. But, I mean, was Jesus real kind and nice and gentle with them? No, he wasn't, right? All right, so let's just kind of set the stage up of how the times were because a lot of these things that we read in these texts here, like last week and this week, we kind of read through it and it's like, yeah, no big deal, you know. Send a guy to the roof. Jesus forgives sins. Not a big deal. Okay, he walks up <clears throat> to a tax collector and he says, follow me, and then goes eat with him. Not a big deal, right? But in those days, this was big deals. These were things that stirred up and went against all of what the religious culture was speaking. See, so Jesus left his house in Capernaum. Capernaum, am I saying that right? Capernaum. Capernaum. Terrible with that. Where he was challenged by the scribes for what? For forgiving sins. But now he leaves the house probably because there's no roof left on it, right? And he's like, we got to get out of here. When the people come home, there's no roof left. I'm just joking. But he leaves there and he began preaching by the sea. All right. And this is where Jesus takes a step farther to stir up 
the religious leaders, all right? He just stirred them up with the forgiving sins, and they're like, oh my goodness, who is this guy that comes? Who does he think he is? He's forgiving sins. But he takes it even a step farther right after this. And we definitely see here how different the world and society was then, and it is now. And what I mean by that is the culture was very moral back then. Like everything, it it was really no gray areas. You were either very religious and godly or you were just a heathen. There was no kind of middle ground. And the religious people were super moral. They stuck to things. They were very structured. They were disciplined and everything and what they thought godliness was. And they didn't allow anything else to kind of come in. But society today is very worldly, right? At least here in America where we live in the culture that we live in. But they wanted to kill Jesus then because he was not religious enough. But if Jesus was here today doing these things, we would probably want to kill him because he was too religious. Right? And, you know, so they were in an uproar for forgiving sinners then, but we would probably be accusing him, the culture today I say when I say here and now, would want to be accusing him of being too judgmental. Isn't that how our society is today? It's like if you speak anything against the way someone wants to live, it's like, oh, you're judgmental, right? But it was totally opposite of that then. Everything was about being very moral And today is just total different. So let me show you what I'm looking at. Let's go to the text. Mark 2, starting in verse 13. says, He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to Him, and He was teaching them. And as He passed by, He saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, saying that right? Sitting at the tax booth. And He said to him, Follow Me. And He rose and followed Him. And as he reclined at, at table in his house, many tax as he wait, and as he reclined at his table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, and the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who, ha- who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Why do you think this stirred them up so much? See, we read this and it's like, what's the big deal, right? But in those days, it was a big deal. So let's look at this. keeping in mind what we just talked about society in those days, let's look at the life of Levi. All right, so what was Levi? (coughs) Tax collector. All right, tax collectors. What do we know about tax collectors? Were they the good guys? Right? A lot of people, you know, relate them to uh, injury lawyers today. We don't have any injury lawyers in here today, do we, tonight? (laughs) Not all of them are bad. <laughs> they, they relate it, but, but it really wasn't even a close call to that, right? It was way worse than what an injury lawyer is today. They were like the worst of the worst of society. 
right? It's like they were like the mafia of that time. It was organized crime is what it was. All right. And they had Roman soldiers on their side to muscle people out of any and everything that they had. They had tax booths set up on roads. They had tax booths set up on different areas. As you pass by, you had to pay taxes. There were different kind of taxes. There were set fee taxes. And then there was other taxes that there was no set fee. And that's the ones they really wanted. Because whatever they can get out of somebody on top of what they had to pay, the Roman government was theirs in their pocket. Tax collectors were barred from the synagogue. They could not even walk in the synagogue. They could not testify in court. Why? Because they were known liars and thieves. I mean, that was just their reputation. They knew it. They were okay with it. They were in it for the money. And that was it. They didn't care about what people thought about them. They let all that go because they just wanted money in their pocket. Right? Worst of the worst. They were like the scum of society back then because they were like that middleman, right? Already people didn't want to pay taxes, but then all of a sudden you got this tax collector that's adding to the high taxes and different fees that they had to pay. And it was just the worst of the worst. They were unclean and their disgrace actually spread out to their family. Their family was actually put down and disgraced because of what they did. But Levi made a decision to sell his soul to the Romans for money. He made a deliberate choice to do this, right? And how do we know this? Well, we can start off by looking at his name. Where does the name Levi come from? Okay, who? What's that? Okay, the son of Jacob. Right? And Levi's son Jacob, his mother was Leah. And they were Jewish, right? So nobody was named Levi other than Jewish people. So Levi went against everything a Jewish person was raised to be. When he became a tax collector, when he decided to be a tax collector, he let go of everything that he was raised to be. Everything that his Jewish culture had had brought him up to become. He walked away from it. And here's how he became a tax collector. It wasn't just something that fell in your lap of a good opportunity. You had to pursue it. You had to go after it. And you would put in a bid to the Romans of what you were going to bring them and the highest bidder won. They just wanted the most money they could. And whoever can promise them the most money that they were going to bring for taxes, they got the rights to be at that tax booth and start collecting. He desired to be a tax collector. In doing that, he forfeit his Jewish religion. He let it go. He was a traitor to his own people, right? It's like, think about this. People were coming down the road. This is his hometown. And it's like, hey, Levi, remember, you know, we hung out in, in junior high and high school and all that. And, you know, he was just a total traitor. He, there was no friends in him. He was like, give me your money. Give me everything you got. We're going to tax you for this, that. So he was a traitor to his own people, right? He had no childhood friends. And all of a sudden, one day, Jesus comes walking by with a huge crowd. 
and Levi is sitting at this tax collector's desk. And it just amazes me to see this because we get so caught up with these evangelical strategies and all these catchphrases and all these things, you know, and, you know, different salvation experiences, you know, and, uh, you know, you go to different kind of uh, concerts or different kind of presentations and they get the music and all in the mood and all these things. And, you know, you see these little gospel bracelets that people minister on mission trips and all that. But look at Jesus's catchphrase here. You ready? Look, this is his evangelical strategy. You ready? Here we go. So in Mark 14, it says this. And he passed by and he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, you ready? Follow me. <laughs> That's his, catch, his catchphrase. That's his best line. That's all he needed. Follow me. To a tax collector, the worst of the worst, the scum of the city, a traitor to his own people, there was no kind of presenting what his life was going to look like and no kind of promises of anything, nothing like that. Just follow me. How successful would we be at evangelizing if that's what we went around and did? <laughs> you know, only Jesus can do this, right? Why? Because he's God. Because he knows and sees things that we don't see. You see, he's seen the heart of what was going on in Levi. He knew the thoughts that were happening in Levi's life in order for him to come. He knew something was stirring up in Levi way before this, right? You see, the religious leaders were looking for religion, right? They were looking for the outward signs of godliness. But here's our second point. Jesus is looking for the heart of repentance. See, he wasn't looking at the outward signs of someone to try to be godly. He was looking for someone who wanted something different in their heart. He was looking for someone who wanted a heart of repentance, who was, who was tired of living a sinful life, who was beat up by the world and understood that their ways and their thoughts and their direction and their past was not working and they were hungry for something different. See, Levi was a resident of Capernaum. How do you say it? Capernaum. I'm going to get it one day. He was a resident of Capernaum, so he was very aware of Jesus' power. Listen, Jesus was in here, in that town, preaching and doing miracles and doing different things. So, if he didn't witness it with his eyes, he was hearing what Jesus was doing. He was hearing what Jesus was preaching and something was stirring up in his heart. That something is the gospel at work in someone's heart. And I think we can all relate to this. When we were walking in life, away from God, and we thought that we had all the answers in life. I know for myself, I thought I knew what was going to make me happy, what was going to make me fulfilled. I had plans and all that, but eventually we walk down that road for a while, and things just don't happen too well, do they? And something starts to stir up in our hearts, and we start to think, is this really what life is all about? I can just imagine that that's what was going on in Levi's life. He's sitting at that tax desk, and I'm sure that tax booth for a while, the money was good, it was great, but eventually 
He said, there's got to be something more to life than this, right? And he's hearing these messages that Jesus is preaching and these things that he's doing. And he's like, wow, how can I get there? Jesus knew what was going on in his heart. It's a great picture of his, of his omniscience. He knows everything, even man's heart and decisions, and works it all together for his glory and our salvation. We see here such a beautiful picture of God's heart for us as sinners. How he went to the low of low, a tax collector, and offered salvation. He offered a new life right in front of the whole crowd. Didn't care what the religious leaders, Pharisees, the scribes, any of them thought. He was trying to show them the heart of God. It's obvious that Levi's heart was being moved. He walked away from caring about anything or anyone to pursue money. And after walking down that road, it's obvious that he was not content or fulfilled with life anymore. So now he's sitting at his collector's booth like any other day. And all of a sudden, this man, everyone's talking about, approaches him directly and says the simple words, follow me. Simple words, but it put a real fork in his life, right? Follow me. So everything that he had worked for, everything that he had been after, he had accomplished as this tax collector. But it was a decision time for him right here, right? He's sitting there in front of the whole crowd, He's got the Roman soldiers behind him to bully to take money that he's working for. He's got all his people probably with Jesus that he grew up with that probably hate him and don't like him. He's got these things stirring up in his heart. And all of a sudden, Jesus walks up to him and says, Levi, follow me. And he's got to make a decision. And you've got to realize that there's never any coming back if he walks away from that tax booth. There's a whole lot more people right behind him ready to jump in his seat and take his place. If he gets up and goes, it's over. You see, because the other disciples Jesus had called were all fishermen. If things don't work out with Jesus, guess what they can go do? They can go back and fish, and some of them actually did for a little while, didn't they? But it's not like that with Levi. He walks away, he's done. He's already hated by everyone except the other tax collectors and thugs. So if it doesn't work out, it's finished on both sides because he has enemies with the people he grew up with, his Jewish people. And then he's going to be pushed away from the Roman government also as a tax collector. There's a big cost to this decision. Do I trust that Jesus has something better? The heart has to be very desperate for something different to make this kind of move of faith. Look at what it says in Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 27. It says, After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And what? Leaving everything, he rose and followed him. 
No hesitation. No thoughts. No bargaining and asking Jesus, you know, what's this going to look like if I walk away? Anything like that. He just got up and walked away. Isn't that what the Gospel should do in our hearts? Whenever we start having that thing turning inside of us, we start hearing the message of Jesus. I don't know about for you, but for me, when it was that time and Jesus' amazing grace was working in my life, it's like there's no hesitation, right? So he just got up and walked away to follow. Now let's look at a similar situation here with a different ending. You ready? Look in, in Luke 18. It says this, And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witnesses. Honor your mother and father. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. Right? He's feeling pretty good about himself. We're talking about the rich, rich young ruler. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Same line, right? Jesus didn't change his strategy. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was, he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult is, is it for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. So we see two men here, both have the same opportunities, right? Faced with Jesus, both were told, follow me. One makes a decision to get up and walk away, the other one doesn't. What's the difference? What's the difference with these two men? What's that? Okay. Anybody else? That's right. Because both of them had possessions, didn't they? That's right. I think, obviously, it's the work that's going on in someone's heart, right? Repentance. And I think, you know, it's important for us to realize that in and of ourselves, we don't have the strength to actually repent. You realize that all we all we have is is like a decision mode to say, I want what God wants more than what, what I want. I'm tired of what I have. And I believe that when that decision's made, God's power comes in us and gives us what it takes to repent, gives us what it takes to change the sanctification. All that process is not in and of our own strengths, because in and of ourselves, we can't do it right But there was a decision here that both of them looked at their lives, kind of counted the costs and weighed out. Do I really believe that Jesus has something better for me than where I have for myself? 
And Levi obviously had some things going on in his heart, some discontentment with life and made a decision to say, I'm willing to let everything go and take a step out of faith and see what Jesus has to offer. The rich young ruler didn't. And if you really look at it, the rich young ruler came to him really just looking for a pat on the back like, man, you got it all together. You're doing good. Just keep up the good work, right? He wasn't, he wasn't ready for Jesus to tell him to get, give everything away and follow him. So I agree with Matt. His heart really wasn't looking for repentance. It wasn't looking for a change. It was looking for affirmation, right? He chose to have faith in what he had instead of what Jesus was telling him he could be. And you know, the thing is, is we don't really know what happened to the rich young ruler. He's never mentioned again in the Scriptures, right? Not sure. Hopefully he had another opportunity and something happened, but we don't know. But what do we know about Levi? Huh? He became who? He became Matthew. You think he had a pretty successful life? I think so. He wrote one of the Gospels. Not too bad, huh? Right? Obviously, I think he made a pretty good decision. I don't think he ever looked back and wanted his old life back. Right? We really aren't sure how or when his name got changed, but it does fit him well. Anybody know what Matthew means? I'm sure Matt knows meaning of the word name Matthew. What does it mean, Matthew? God's gift, a gift of the Lord, which surely fitted him well, didn't it? But the difference between Levi and a rich ruler is heart condition. See, Levi had a heart that was ready to repent. It was ready to change. The rich young ruler was just looking for Jesus' approval for his lifestyle. See, Levi knew he was an ungodly sinner. He knew he was a sick person. And we too need to realize that we are sick, right? That the minute we start to think that we are good and righteous, we're in trouble, aren't we? And the minute we start to think that, hey, I am where I am because of what I have done, we have already fallen. Right? It's not outward works, outward works, but it's works of grace that make us righteous. And the problem with the religious elders then was that they checked all the boxes of religion, but their hearts were far from God. They would do the outward signs of the godliness, but they had no love in their hearts. They elevated themselves above everyone else instead of loving the people around them. You know, the word Pharisee means separated one. Separated one. And they separated themselves from everything and everyone that they thought was unholy. They could not be around anyone who was unholy. They could not be around a sinner or anybody like that because they felt like if they were around those people, of course, it was going to make them unclean and it was going to stain them. And, you know, the thought of this is that they were, they were going off of Psalms 1 to justify this action. And Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates that day and night. 
You see, they believed that everyone except themselves was separated from the love of God. But I think, you know, we have to be careful about the definition of sanctification and what it means to be set apart because we are all set apart, aren't we? I mean, we don't throw Psalm 1 out the window, but does that mean that we exalt ourselves above everybody and that we don't love people who are not doing right and we push them away and push them down and say, hey, we're better and we don't want to be around you? Is that how we live our lives as, as believers? No. I think we have to realize and our heart should be that where we're at and the grace we receive, we receive by grace, right? Not that we deserved it. And our heart should be that everyone would receive that same grace and come to the knowledge and understanding of who Jesus Christ is and what He wants to do in their lives. But you see, that's the problem with the religious leaders is that was not their heart. They just wanted to be elevated and they wanted to be on their, their, their high horse in a sense and looking down on everybody else. So we just read about Jesus forgiving sinners in the previous verses. And now even worse, he's asking not just a sinner, but a tax collector to follow him. This really went against everything that they believed in those days. Their faith was in man becoming godly before they can be accepted by God. To be godly and then you were accepted. Like you had to do a bunch of stuff and make yourself look godly before you were accepted. But look at what Jesus said about the religious leaders in Matthew 23. He says, They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. You see, they would put these high standards on everybody, but in and of themselves, they weren't walking this out either. And that's why he called them religious leaders. Do you remember he said, you know, wash the inside of the cup, and then the outside will be clean. They would just put out the outward signs of godliness, but the inside was still ugly. Jesus was doing something totally different. He wasn't looking for the people who saw themselves as righteous, but the people who knew that they were unrighteous. He was wanting to give them righteousness, not by their works, but by faith and repentance. Religion is works of our flesh, but grace is works of the Spirit. The religious leaders could not accept this because it put them on the wrong side of the fence. So when Levi walked away from his heathen life and followed Jesus, he invited him to dinner at his house. You can imagine what kind of gathering this was, right? This wasn't your normal church celebration and potluck dinner. This was a house full of thugs and sinners and tax collectors you know, and Jesus right there in the middle of them. So from the outside, the religious leaders, what do you think they were thinking about that? It's like, oh my goodness, right? Culture them days, that was a crazy thing. These guests were not church people. <laughs> it was thugs. You look in Mark 2.15, it says, And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And you can about imagine what was taking place here because Levi, you know, he wasn't pouting and crying that he just walked away from his tax booth. But he was like ecstatic about what this new life was going to look like. I mean, he had just pretty much received salvation in a sense. 
uh, walked away from everything that he thought to follow Jesus, you can about imagine revival was probably breaking out in his house. Because the tax collectors and the different people around him, the other thugs and sinners, weren't shunning him for it. They were following him. Like, wow, look at what just happened here. You know, and I'm sure he was probably telling his testimony and different things, and all kind of cool things were happening there. But the religious leaders could not accept that Jesus was hanging out with sinners. They were missing the boat. They were missing God's heart on what He wanted to do because their hearts were not for everyone to receive salvation. They just wanted to elevate their self. So Jesus summed up His purpose in this last text. Verse 16 and 17, it says, And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that He was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to His disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I think the important thing for us to get out of this is that we are to realize that in and of ourselves cannot become righteous. When we accept that we are sinners, that we are sick, that we can't do it, then Jesus is there to give us grace and power to repent. The power comes from Him when we start to realize who we really are. And all we have to do is be willing to let go of what we have to receive what He has to offer. We all have a cost to follow Jesus, right? I think all of us, and, and you know, I look back on it, and I don't know about you, but when I really started walking with the Lord and I started realizing some of the things I had to give up in life, there was like some struggles. Like it seemed like these big things, right? Like, oh my goodness, I'm going to have to give up secular music and I'm going to have to give up some of the shows that I watch. And, you know, not because uh, of anything, but it's just, it was going on in my heart and I realized that's what God wanted to do in my life. He was wanting to cleanse that stuff out. But those things were very difficult back then. And some of the biggest things was I'm going to have to give up my future and my plans for my life that I think that I should go, and the plan and purpose that I have for my life, and really open it up to God, whatever you want to do, it's on you. Kind of like a follow Him type mentality, right? But I look back now, and it's like the things I traded for the things that God gave me wasn't much of a sacrifice, was it? I mean, think about those things in your life. And think about this. Have you ever heard of anyone... That season who's been walking with the Lord for years say, man, I gave up a lot to follow the Lord and whew, I'm kind of regretting it. Have you ever heard that? You don't, right? Why? Because what he has to offer is so much more better than anything we can imagine. Right? And all he has to say is follow me because he knows what he has is better than anything this world has to offer. You don't ever see Jesus trying to motivate someone to follow Him, to motivate someone to do anything, because He knows what He has is better. He's not this used car salesman where He's got to bully, uh, shine it all up and make this package look all good, because He knows what He has is better than anything we can have. true fact is that he's the one that really gave up the sacrifice not us (laughs) 
He paid the biggest price in order for us to have this new life and be able to follow Him and walk in sanctification in this new life. We really are the ones who get the reward for His sacrifice. And what is that reward? It's eternal life. Eternal life. When you compare eternal life to anything that we try to hold on to in this life here on this earth, it's not even a conversation, is it? So Lord, we just want to say we love You. Just thank You so much for Your sacrifice. Thank You for Your calling of each and every one of us. We thank You that You came for sinners like us. We thank You that we didn't have to do or try to earn our way into righteousness or salvation, but that You paid the price, the ultimate picture of love. We just want to say we appreciate that. I pray that we would never lose sight of that. So I lift up each and every person in here, and I just pray that You continue to speak to their hearts. Show them Your love for them. Show them what these Scriptures mean to us personally in our own life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Thank you all for coming.